The following is a hoop ball presentation. Follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Uh, check out HoopBall on Twitter. HoopBall tweets online, hoop-ball.com. Uh, joining me is my good friend, SBC alum, uh, host of just the, the best show, in my opinion, outside of this one, Duncan Dynasty. Um, it's my friend Garrett Bouguet. You can find him on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Uh, Garrett, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. You know, this this is a crazy time of year just for for me for for absorbing content. We've got you know NBA playoffs with just about two games every night. We've got the UEFA Euro uh, starting up this weekend. We've got E3, the video game conference as well, starting up Sunday, uh, and and the French Open tennis tournament. There's just there's just too much. I've been uh, I've been really having a hard time keeping up with everything that's going on right now. Oh, man, I'm totally with you. And that's just on sports alone. You're right. Forget the movies. Loki just dropped today. Uh, recording this on Wednesday the 9th, so you'll hear this uh, the next day. But, yeah, between that, Comic-Con next month, I mean, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to, to process. But um, we soldier on. We soldier on. <laughs> Even today, I'm totally – I was telling Garrett before the show, I feel like I have hangover symptoms, but, like, two days after the fact, which obviously isn't the case. So, you know, going to take some uh, – ibuprofen drink some more water it is 109 out here in arizona so maybe that's playing a part but i i, I mean i would just venture to guess but um before we get started on the main uh topic uh, i wanted to get your thoughts uh garrett on just some of the news that well just one big piece of news that dropped uh today namely the pacers firing of their head coach nate bjorken uh i mean it was sudden i mean it wasn't sudden i guess most people pacers fans those that were in the know knew that this was something that had a good chance of of happening um but i thought okay it was gonna be a little more time because it has been you know only a year uh but i guess as i wrote on twitter he must have done a lot of damage in a year yeah there was uh you know, this doesn't seem to be a situation where it was the X's and O's that cost him his job. He seems very good at that sort of the, that element of coaching. It seems to be more just the what seems like the the, the simple stuff from an outsider's perspective, just the getting along, the um, you know the the leadership, the uh, delegation of assistant coaches and their responsibilities. There are plenty of sources that were, were indicating that he was kind of a micromanager and got under some of the assistant coaches' skins, even would would call them out during practice sessions for what they were doing. And he uh, he clearly wasn't getting along with some of the, the players as well, most notably T.J. Warren, and apparently Warren even uh, was, was willing to uh, – to opt out of the season and, and, and take an elective surgery just so he didn't have to play for him. So, uh, you know, that, that is the, I think the reason he is, he is no longer the coach. If you can't get along with your players, if you can't get along with your staff, just on a, on a human level, you probably can't make it as a head coach in the NBA. 
Yeah, that's that's a little bit of a, a indictment uh, on you as a coach uh, for certain. And I mean, it was weird. Are you coming off of again a situation that was already had with? Nate, Nick McMillan, uh, and not so much in, 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 in any case or, or in any degree of severity as the news with this Nate was this season of just, you know, not getting along with players or, you know, the leadership style rubbing some the wrong way, but this is a totally different level in that game, and, and we clearly saw that, and I mean, you know, one disappointing season, you know, uh, they had a, one game they won in the playing game, and then just an embarrassment um, and and here is where they are now. So they'll be moving forward with a team that, you know, is expected to compete. Definitely, uh, I would say, like the four or five in the playoffs next season. I mean, just off of talent, depending on what happens. I know Miles Turner apparently has already been in, um, like, NBA trade rumors and stuff, which usually means nothing, but definitely could mean something after this year. But like you said, when you rub off a team that badly, you know, top-down front office and players, and you don't have any support from anywhere – that's kind of an issue. Yeah, and and frankly, you know, yeah, they they missed the playoffs. They had that yeah that terrible performance in that second play-in game against against Washington. But uh, you know, if you look at all the injuries that this team suffered, and again, yeah, Warren missing most of the year. You had Miles Turner miss a big chunk. Malcolm Brogdon missed uh, certain segments. Um, you know, the whole situation with Karis LeVert and the, the kidney thing, this, uh, surgery that he, he needed, which uh, caused him to miss some time. You know, I don't think they underperformed a lot by, you know, what you would expect given how many injuries they, they dealt with. But but again, it's just a matter of if if this guy is rubbing people the wrong way. Uh, I think they, they recognize that this was something that... Uh, uh, was was more personality based, and that's not something that uh, Nate Bjorkren can kind of change overnight. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, yeah, not. yeah, it's probably it's probably the right call, and it's unfortunate given that yeah, they had a, a at least a solid regular season coach in McMillan, and they were you know they made the gamble of okay, we're going to get rid of what we know is an, an an average to maybe slightly above average coach in McMillan to try to get something better like with what Toronto did uh, hiring hiring Nick Nurse um, and you know it uh, it failed but uh, they'll they'll have another opportunity here to to try to get someone better yep and we'll have to see how it goes i mean there's already uh talks of linking uh recently released coach Terry Stotts from Portland with Indiana which could be interesting we'll kind of see where they go from there but yeah it, it'll be something to monitor but um Want to kind of transition from that to some of the playoffs that have happened, and I, I've been a little inconsistent on the show. I've been well out the last two days. Just oh, it's been a weird whirlwind. But in terms of the playoffs, I mean, we've had a lot going on. I can't think of anyone else to talk about than you right now, briefly. Like, what are your takeaways so far from Brooklyn just being? I, I'm not gonna lie. We talked about this in Duncan Dynasty. I definitely thought that. In that Milwaukee will put up a lot more of a fight than what we've seen so far. And it's funny because, and definitely check out the Duncan Dynasty, um, both Eastern and Western uh, playoff series, I think, Garrett, you've done one for uh, the first round and so far the semifinals as well. Um, and what a feature I like about them is not only the overall general deep dives in both teams, but the second game, uh, uh, the two games down adjustment. And in my mind, I mean, Milwaukee could have made adjustments down two quarters in the second game. So, like, it's funny where they stand now. And it's also funny how well that preview did because now you have to look at what adjustments Milwaukee could make. And and, and my, my question for you, Garrett, after all that is, 
did you expect this type of dominating performance from Brooklyn? Were you thinking that Milwaukee would put up just a little bit more of a response? Is it just a, a, a shot variance, shots not falling? Are they just totally being outcoached? Uh, what do you think is going on with this series so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly surprised because, yeah, I picked the, the Nets to win the series, but I picked it in seven. So I thought it was going <laughs> to be competitive. So, yeah, I, I was I was certainly surprised by game two at one point being, what, a, a 49-point contest? Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's been a huge surprise. I, I mentioned it when we did that preview that, yeah, I, I thought the DiVincenzo absence was going to be significant because, you know, you have to play – guys that are more one-way players in a Bryn Forbes, or even they, they played some Jeff Teague in that game as well, which I think is a disaster. Um, and, and yeah, I think you, you brought up the coaching element. I, I do think that it's been an absolute demolition. Steve Nash has completely and utterly outcoached Mike Budenholzer so far. They've they've done a lot of, a lot of good stuff defensively. You know, you thought they were going to be switching a lot of those uh, Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton pick and rolls with Giannis as the screener, but they really haven't. They've just showed briefly and then gotten back, and they've forced Giannis to to hit those little five, ten-foot jump hooks, and he's at times caught the ball thinking that he's just going to be able to go up and dunk like he did against Miami, but there's a guy in his <laughs> path, and he's traveled a few times. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a big issue. That you know the Bucks have have consistently ran pick and rolls and and gotten switches where Kevin Durant is uh, is the uh, eventual defender and it's like he's the guy you want to avoid he's not the guy you want to seek out so yeah <laughs> it's been it's been really really puzzling and and on both ends it's been an issue you know they they put in PJ Tucker I think in large part with the mindset of, oh, he's going to he's gonna be our, our guy that slows down Durant, but that clearly hasn't panned out. And then Tucker also takes away things on the other end because he's a limited shooter. He can only shoot from the corners. So, yeah, the, the Bucks have, have uh, plenty of issues to figure out, but most notably it's on the offensive end. I think the, the number one adjustment they could make is take Tucker – out of that starting lineup and put in Bryn Forbes. Now, yeah, Forbes has his limitations defensively, but uh, he gives them that shooting element and, and gives them that spacing that they need. They just need to be able to score effectively before they can even consider competing and, and getting stops on the other end. Yeah, you're right. They, they totally don't have that at all right now. And, yeah, I was about to say that was my second point. Did we – I know I totally did – underestimate the defense of Brooklyn? I mean, yes, they they weren't good for for much of the year, but we've seen that uh, you know if you've got a good game plan and your players play hard, that you can get to a level of confident competence that allows a, a team as good offensively as Brooklyn to to be you know uh, a championship caliber team. And we've seen the emergence of, of guys like Nick Claxton. You know, Steve Nash has has utilized Bruce Brown kind of as a small ball center at times, which, you know, Brown is a, a solid defensive player. So he's been able to get in enough defenders in that rotation while not sacrificing the spacing and the offense to keep them, you know, uh, again, competent on that end. And then you're, you're getting really good production from Kevin Durant, who's playing some of the best defense, you know, playing probably some of the best defense he's played since he was a, 
a member of uh, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder near the end in 2016 or even that first year in Golden State in 2017? I was going to say that first year in Golden State is one I remember a lot just because he was able to wreak a lot more havoc on the weak side and really make a difference with um, with the help on that, and especially when it came to shot blocking. So I'm with you on that for sure. Yeah, he, he straight up blocked Brooke Lopez on a post-up. Lopez <laughs> was, just thought, oh, I'm, I'm just going to do a little right-hand jump hook. And Durant just stuck his left hand out and blocked it. It's like, you know yeah. that. No, no. And I wasn't expecting it then either. It's very, yeah, it was wild. I mean, you're right. Like, he's really ramped up another level. And I, I thought it was funny. He was asked, um, one of the just many, you know, strange post-game comments after a game or questions was like, did he ever think he'd see himself where he is now? You know, and yeah. he, he was like, uh, I mean, what do you want me to say? No, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's funny, but it's true. I did not expect, especially on the defensive end, from the BS springy on that side. You know what I mean? Just ladder movement. Vert- I, I didn't see it. So the fact that it is the case is pretty wild. Yeah. And, and one more thing about their defense. I actually heard this on on the most recent episode of uh, the low post with Seth, Seth Park now. They, they were talking about that uh, that pick-and-roll defense the Nets are showing to the Bucks against, you know, with, with Middleton or Bled, or uh, Holiday, excuse me, with the basketball and, and Giannis as the screener. They are dropping those guys pretty much all the way back to the rim. And, you know, what that, uh, what that has done is it's forced the likes of Middleton or, or Holiday to beat them from the mid-range and or Giannis to beat them over the top. They're not conceding those dunks, those easy layups. And one sort of counter, I think, uh, that, the, that the Bucks could consider doing against that is to potentially set a rescreen. You know, start the, the first one and near the free throw line, get near the rim, and set a second one because that big is so far back under the rim that then maybe that forces the big to really come up to the ball and open up that lob to Giannis. That, that's mm-hmm. something that I consider the Bucks could could do against that that uh, real sort of conservative defense the Nets are showing them. No, that's that's actually solid because you're right. Right now, I mean, that would be interest that would be helpful in opening up easier looks for them because this Bucks team not only are they not getting easy looks, but they're settling a lot for these one on one. You know, Chris Middleton's after game two, they're they're playing right into the Nets' hands of okay, we're gonna go ISO. And you know, I like the Bucks. Their offensive versatility is a strength to me. Um, you know, the addition of Drew Holiday's been great, but I don't look at them like that kind of team. And and I think the results also <laughs> bear some uh, fruit on that one. You know, they're just not that squad. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see can they recover. Do you still think this goes seven games or dare I say even six? Yeah, based off of those fir- first two contests, yeah, I think this is a four or five game series now. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm not counting out the Bucks yet. I w- I, uh, I would love to see their response in Game Three before I officially call this series over. Mm-hmm. But uh, you yeah, know, it's, uh, what's the, what's the uh, what's the saying that uh, the series doesn't start until a home team loses a game? Uh, so yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not counting the Bucks out. They certainly have a ton of talent still, and and I would hope that uh, Mike Budenholzer will will make some adjustments based on what he's seen in those first couple of games. But uh, yeah, not not looking terribly promising. And again, when you go down two nothing in a in a best of seven, you've got to win four out of five, which is a tall task against anybody, let alone this uh, this Nets team. Exactly. It's going to be interesting to see how they respond. If not, a lot of questions and possibly the loss of a coach. So 
we'll leave it at that for now. Um, is there any other series you're interested in kind of talking about? I know Atlanta and Philly have a tight one. Uh, Phoenix has been looking good. Just any quick observations from you? Yeah, I mean the uh, that that Phoenix and and Denver series was was interesting, and yeah, we'll be uh, I'll be watching that game too once we're done recording this. But uh, just from from that game one, I thought obviously the Chris Paul looking healthy again is a major factor of that series, uh, and and yeah, I, I probably would have picked Phoenix in five or six if I had known Paul was going to look like that r- right from the get go. Um, so, so that's a concern in Denver, obviously, uh, can't really do the drop back defensive scheme with Jokic. So they've got to, they've got to bring him out on the floor and the Suns just have the passing and the shooting at just about every spot to really make you pay for that. And then Denver on the other end, uh, they, they were able to get away with having Monty Morris be their best guard scorer in that series against Portland, but I don't think he's going to be good enough in this series against this Phoenix defense who has guards that can get over screens. They've got wings that are really good at, at helping at the right times. So it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for Denver to score enough. Uh, I think Jokic obviously will, will have a game or two that uh, he'll just go crazy and maybe get the, the Nuggets a couple of wins, but they desperately need someone like Will Barton that brings them a dash of creativity and a, and an extra, an extra option as a playmaker on the ball. And uh, you know, if, if he doesn't return soon, they're, they're certainly in trouble. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're going to see as of now we're recording game two started. I don't know where he is in that, um, if he's playing or not. Um, so that'll be interesting to see kind of how that goes. But you're right. They need that additional shot creation. They just don't have it right now. And and it is an issue, um, especially since the Suns have just been so dang good. I At this point, I'm not – I mean, you know me, Garrett, big-time Laker fan. Didn't really expect him to come out the first round. Just – just, just, it's like having to redirect my whole brain on the fly. I knew the Suns were good. I just, you know, figured the Lakers were better. Obviously, injuries came to play. A lot happened. Long story short, it is what it is. But now it's like, well, hold up now. I mean, I've been watching them most of the season. But, no, they were built for the playoffs. Like, those playoff questions I had with each passing game are just rapidly dissipating. Yeah, and I should say, as you were talking there, I, I looked it up, and Will Barton is expected to play on a minutes limit in game two of that series. Okay. Okay, cool. So we'll have to kind of see how that looks when we're done. I guess we'll roll back the tape and see what happens or scroll on Twitter for a minute. Um, but, yeah, that'll be interesting to see kind of how that goes then because at least even having him on the floor is more beneficial, you know, 15, 20 minutes of him and having shot creation there rather than, you know, giving those shots to, you know, Compazzo or Austin Rivers or, you know, uh, just a less equipped shot creator like that. Right. Yeah, they they could uh, they could use some help on the second unit, and, and I – I mentioned in in my preview of that series that they should they should probably just start Morris. He he was terrible in game one. He went one for ten. They obviously need him to play better. But uh, you know, given his uh, he is the best healthy guard that can play thirty plus minutes that they have right now. That he should start over Compazzo. And then yeah, if you've got Barton off the bench, that gives them a little bit more of scoring punch just surrounding Jokic. So it'll be interesting. But we've also seen stuff with uh, Michael Porter Jr. tweaking his back as well uh, at the end of uh, game two. So it's this this does very much feel like uh, one of those things where Denver, without Jamal Murray, it's a nice story that they not only made the playoffs, but they made the second round. But it, mm-hmm. it, it really does sort of feel like at this point that, uh, this is kind of 
the end of the story for them. And, and I and I'm I know I'm going out on a limb since we're recording this during game two that I could be sounding pretty stupid when this is <laughs> when this is released if Denver comes out and, and blows out the Suns in game two. I mean, hey, I I'm with you actually. I just feel like it's been a great run for Denver, and you're right. We could easily have this come back and make us look horrible, but. Right now, it just looks like they're playing a team that is overmatched. And honestly, the reason Portland made as many changes as they did, they said, hey, they lost a series against a team that as good as Nikola Jokic is, did not have their second and third best players. You know, and the Suns now are playing that very same team, being a much better team than Portland. And they're also, you know, without their second and up to this point, at least partially the third best player. So if they're taking care of business in a way that Portland couldn't and they're a much better team, you know, it's to be expected, you know. If Portland goes down and kind of go down with their head high knowing that they did as much as they did, even with, you know, a team that isn't at full strength. But we'll see how this game two works. I mean, three works, but uh, or two works, my bad. But in my mind, yeah, I'm kind of with you. It, it just, if it if it ends here, and I think for most people who, you know, are following this series, it will, this round for Denver, it was a great round to have. It was a great playoff series. They still did well. They got the MVP. Like, this is still a solid year. I don't want to write their, their, uh, their obituary right now, but just just kind of saying ahead of it, like, hey, they did a good job. Yeah, and the um – the the other the other series that I was interested in discussing was that that Clippers Jazz matchup. Yes. And uh, of course the Jazz getting off to that one zero series lead even without Mike Conley and uh, I I was really sort of uh, disappointed in Ty Lue's performance in that game one. He uh, he stuck with you know Luke Kennard came in and, and gave them some good offense but he just stuck yeah. with him even though Utah was absolutely killing him on the defensive end attacking him over and over again and you know the the issue that uh, the Jazz have when they play Rudy Gobert against the Clippers you know going into the series was well the Clippers can put five guys out there that can shoot mm-hmm. but uh, you know at various times the 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 Clippers went with Zubach, they went with Terrence Mann, they went with Rondo, and they allowed Gobert for a good chunk of that game to to have a guy that he could reasonably hide on and still be that rim deterrent. So I I think Lou has got to do a much better job of not only keeping five uh, five man lineups that can really space the floor and really punish Utah sticking with a center, a traditional center. But then on the other end, having five-man lineups that can defend and switch, you know, so that Donovan Mitchell just doesn't have somebody that he can just pick at the scab over and over again. No, that's true. That's true. It, it almost reminded me of the Clippers making the same mistake that their previous opponent, Dallas, made in their last series. You know, Rick Carlisle was adjusting like a madman, but he made some adjustments they stuck with, in my opinion, for tar- far too long, not just mine, but, you know, he went to the zone defense, he went to starting Boban Marjanovic, and then he kept it well after it had run its, 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 its utility, you know? And in this case, you're right. Like, having Luke Kennard with a shot in the arm for the Clippers, his shot making was great. For a while, he was the only guy in double digits for L.A. He did a great job. But then once he's getting hunted relentlessly, again and again and again on switches, you have to adjust. And unfortunately, that isn't what happened for for Lou, he he didn't make the adjustments when needed, and despite you know a furious comeback from the Clippers, they always gave Jazz an out by keeping Kanar on the floor. Yeah, and and Lou has 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 done this his whole coaching career. He's always prioritized offense. 
for the sake of defense. And Mm -hmm. that's why I think you've seen a guy like Patrick Beverly be completely minimized on this roster, even though I think he might arguably still be the the Clippers' best overall point guard if you talk about two-way play. Um, and But instead, he's preferred Reggie Jackson because he has a little bit more range on that three-point shot. He's got a quicker release. I mean, he Reggie Jackson is a slightly better offensive player than, than Beverly, for sure. But, um, you know, he... Jackson was another guy that got sort of uh, attacked pretty consistently in that game and eventually fouled out. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, Lou, even even when his back has been against the wall in that Dallas series, he continued to just go all in on offense. But this Jazz team is such a great two-way unit. You know, they were top five in both offense and defense that I feel like Lou utilizing more of his two-way talent on that roster is the way to go if he wants to get the Clippers into the Western Conference Finals for the first time in that franchise's history. I mean, yeah, you're right. They're going to have to take a lot more of a, I don't even say holistic view, but you got to look at both the offense and the defense if you're trying to beat a Utah team that while they don't have the individual talent that the Clippers do, at least on paper, they've obviously shown that they have more than enough right now to get a win or two, and we'll see if they can get enough to get the series from L.A. Um, but you're right. Adjustments are going to be needed if they want to, because this is a tight game. You know, the Clippers shouldn't walk away feeling horrible about themselves. They definitely had a good chance to win this, even coming off the two days after a tough game seven. You know, playing heavy minutes, you could also blame it on the legs of different players. Nick Batum, Kawhi Leonard, you know, Paul George all didn't have great games. You could look at a number of different factors for L.A. for why they didn't win. And the fact they lost by three, even with all that, you can look at the glass half em- half full take and go, okay, hey, there's a lot we can improve upon, but we are we are well in hand to just take this series as well. So at the same time, you know, self-destructive coaching decisions has submarine many a team. And so that's a possibility as well. And the Clippers, we know they've been snakebitten just before they get to the conference finals. Uh, this would be that round. So, yeah, game two is going to be interesting to see if a response from L.A., what that is, and to see if Utah can sustain the same energy they had to start with and keep that moving on. Yeah, the the the, the big thing, too, for Utah, with Conley recovering from that hamstring strain, every win that they get in this series, I think, gives them a little bit more freedom to say, okay, well, we got one in the bag, and yes, we want to continue to hold on to our home court advantage and take care of business, but if Mike Conley is at 100%, Knowing we've got one win, you know, we can probably be comfortable sitting him in game two. And if we lose that, that's not the end of the world. We probably, in, in most series, you've got to win a game on the road to, to win the, the, the series anyway. So, uh, you know, every, every win that this Jazz team banks in the early stages just allows Conley to get a little bit more rest. And uh, you know, if if I'm the Clippers, I want to be up in the series by the time the Jazz get back to full strength. Corbin, you're on mute, I think. Oh, I, I am. Jeez Louise. <laughs> anyway, had to happen once a show, Garrett. Had to happen once a show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, as I was saying, though, before I muted myself, or before that, um, the fact that the Clippers are already where they are right now, having a tough dogfight with the Jazz, being a tough team. You're right. You definitely want to make sure that you regain advantage before Mike Conley gets back, only because now that he can swing the series in that way, I mean, he's a very good player, but come on, you already have enough you're dealing with. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't have another weapon on the floor to attack another offensive-minded, defensive challenge line that you know that Coach Lou's going to put out there um, in crunch time. Like, it's going to happen. So, in this case right now, yeah, you, you're, you're 
take advantage, you know, day by day, game by game, but definitely make sure that you play like the team that you are right now, mostly healthy, with the exception, of course, of, um, well, the main exception, of course, is Serge Ibaka. Right, and and yeah, I guess we... Uh, you know, you can't overstate the fact that the Clippers did have a just come off of a grueling seven game series and the Jazz had what, I think, six days off heading into this round two matchup. So the, the Jazz did have an advantage in terms of energy and it felt like they did win a lot of the 50 50 balls and, and make the extra effort plays that the Clippers just didn't. So, you know, I, I think if you're if you're looking at it from a positive perspective of the Clippers, you, you would hope that game two, they start to resemble more of uh, what what we saw at the end of that Dallas series where they were able to to win those last couple of games and and look like a team that that uh, made those extra effort plays, those extra rotations on the defensive end, because the Jazz got uh, the Jazz got even even in the first half when they were missing a bunch of them, the Jazz got a bunch of open looks from three. Yeah. They did, and they knocked out even just a few more. They they did their they did their job just getting good spots, getting good shots. A lot of them, a lot more could have went down than they did. But you're right, defensively, I think you look. That's the majority of the issue. You can blame tired legs for jumpers and such on on what happened with the loss for the Clippers on the offensive end. But defensively, you let a lot of guys guys run wild, and particularly Donovan Mitchell with that 30 points in the second half. Yeah, and and Mitchell was the best player on the on the court, and. I think that's something that uh, I've, I've underestimated a little bit, and it was hard. It's hard to tell exactly how real the the bubble performance from Mitchell was. And it's funny they're showing like uh, you know Mitchell's playoff averages and stuff at over 27 points per game. Well, a ton of that is just from averaging what over 40 in that series last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he showed out and was clearly the best player in game one. It'll be interesting to see if that continues moving forward. But certainly Utah will need him, especially if they don't have uh, have Mike Connolly for a few more games to get wins. They're going to need him to be, if not the best, the second best player on the court. And, and he clearly was that in that first contest. He was. He was. I want to see if he can replicate that moving forward or if he's going to wear down like Luka did over the course of the series. Because, you know, defensive adjustments are going to happen. You know Kawhi's going to be on him. He was on him for a good portion of this game as well, but I'm just saying moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't like the Kawhi matchup on on Mitchell, to be honest. I loved it on Luka. And Kawhi, as great of a defensive player as he is, former defensive, two-time defensive player of the year, mm-hmm. he uh, he isn't a guy that I think is just like really great at dealing with extremely quick guards, which is what Mitchell is. I think he's better dealing with the size and strength of a Luka Doncic and contesting um, as opposed to what Mitchell offers, that sort of that uh, north-south just straight line speed. Uh, but that that again is where I think Patrick Beverly can play a big role in this series if Ty Lue allows him to, because Beverly is that really good guard defender that can deal with a player like Mitchell reasonably well. So uh, if I were Lou, that would be my big adjustment is get Beverly some more minutes here. And especially down the stretch of the game when the Jazz offense just resorts to we're going to give the ball to Mitchell every time and they're going to isolate and or try to try to create a switch against a weaker defender. If you have Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Batum, and Morris, there isn't really a great option for for Mitchell to attack. 
No, there isn't. That does make it tough for him. That's for sure. I was going to say, last question on this for me. Um, Did you like the way we've been talking about kind of Lou in the negative light and much deserved for the way he was kind of moving some, um, you know, keeping players in longer than he should have. But in regards to the way that he kind of dusted off guys like DeMarcus Cousins and like we already mentioned, Patrick Beverly, do you like the fact that, you know, Lou's not afraid to go as he did in game one, 11 deep? I, yeah, I, um, with, with Lou, it is, it is confusing. Cause yeah, a lot of his decisions puzzle me that that cousin's decision was, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I was wondering what the, what the thought process was there. And I didn't think that worked particularly well. And again, I think, you know, playing, playing him and, and, uh, especially, you know, it's one thing to play Zubach when favors is on the floor. I actually don't mind that at all. I like that for the Clippers, but the, the Zubach for heavy minutes with Gobert and or Cousins against Gobert, I don't like that because that just, you know, allows Gobert to to be the player, the, the defensive player of the year candidate he's been all year. Now, Cousins is capable of hitting a three, but he's a bruiser by nature, and he's not going to go out there and hit six triples on you. No. So. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like it. Uh, you know, Lou has has always been somebody that, yeah, I appreciate his his willingness to experiment, especially early in series. But you know, against a team as good as Utah, you you can only experiment so much. I, I think this is, you know, this game too is bordering on a, uh, you know, even though they lost uh, the first two games in the first round and came back and won. Uh, this this Utah team is better than Dallas, frankly, and uh, getting down 0-2 against Utah and having to win four out of five against the Jazz is an extremely tough task. Yeah, it's going to be a, a, a lesson in perseverance for sure. So uh, your original takes um, were Clippers holding on this one, right? Yeah, I had Clippers in six, and uh, I'm going to stick with, with Clippers in six for now, but uh, yeah, we'll, uh, you know, I, I might have to change that if Utah takes game two. I was giving you an out here. I'm like, hey, it's a different show. You have a chance to change it. You know, the people listeners haven't heard um, your takes on uh, that. Well, hopefully they have. They listen to Duncan Dynasty. But there's a whole chance to hit a whole new wave with revised takes here. I'm going to stick to my guns, Corbin. I'm a man of my word. Hey, listen, that's one of the things I respect about you, bro. <laughs> We're going to do the same. <laughs> I had pretty much the same there, so I'm going to keep it that way. Um, but, yeah, let's let's get started on the, the meat of the show here. Uh funny to say after we've been talking for as long as we have right now but um yeah we're going into what well, i haven't figured out the official name but i think it's going to be um where we go from here and that's for teams you know that are looking at the offseason uh this could be teams that were recently eliminated um you know from the playoffs and the playing tournament the two teams we're going to do today uh weren't never had a chance to make the playoffs i mean they were like out of the playoff and play in tournament well before the season ended so we're gonna talk about the toronto raptors and the Orlando Magic. And there's some interesting teams. I'm kind of glad we picked these. Uh, well, Garrett went with Toronto. I'm glad he went with that. And I took Orlando just kind of off the cuff. But looking at our, our Toronto first, they finished 12th in the conference, 27 and 45. Um, they were, what, had an offensive rating of 16, had a defensive rating of 15, kind of right in the middle of the pack, 19th overall net rating. Uh, just a, a weird year for a team that had to go through a weird change you know due to um, COVID everything going on they did not play a game in Toronto uh they played in Tampa they were the Tampa Raptors and there was definitely some uncomfortableness about that just for each player not being used to that and it felt different just kind of watching them and they played uh, in a way that was they they didn't have a lot of pop sometimes 
You know, injuries came, COVID hit, but they they weren't. You could tell from the beginning of the year that this was not the Toronto Raptors team of the year before. Um, we're not even talking about championship year, just the year after. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it was a really uh, really tough year for them. Yeah, not only as you mentioned playing in Tampa Bay, but all of the they had a bunch of of uh, absences due to due to COVID early in the season. They had some injuries as well, and they got off to such a sort of a lousy start to the year that even though they were still kind of in playoff contention at the at the midway point of the season, I think the the organization recognized that. Okay, yeah, we can really push this and and maybe get in as the seven or eight seed in the East and lose in round one. But what really is the value of that? Honestly, mm-hmm. looking forward, um, you know, not only would would pushing pushing that hurt their own draft pick, but you know, guys, we've seen teams that were really pushing it, like the Lakers, suffer. You know, some of their key players suffer injuries. So I think the good thing for Toronto looking looking to this offseason is they they've got a, a healthy roster for the most part. They um, they made that trade at the deadline, which was a, a trade for the future, uh, getting rid of Norman Powell and picking up a restricted free agent in uh, in Gary Trent Jr., which is, I think, a, a nice move and a guy that's more on their timeline than than, than maybe Powell was. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also have a. Uh, you know, I think they've got the the seventh best odds in the lottery, a 31.9% chance at a top four pick and a 7.5% chance at number one. And also we got the news as well, which is uh, welcome news for, for Toronto fans, that uh, Masai Ujiri is, is staying. There you go. That That's big. Yeah, that's real big, especially since he's kind of led this team to where they are right now. They just won a championship what, two years ago. They're in a good space. You know, they decided to retool. They have two guys and you know, not only Gary Chen Jr., who they just brought in, but Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, who are both 27. That's still kind of right around that sweet spot of contending or, or, or you know, just kind of building around them. Um, and with Lowry off the books, I mean, they could clear significant cast space by just letting go of Rodney Hood. And then they have, a, what, what, I think it's last I saw, 20, 30-ish million to spend on players? Yeah, I think tw- around 20 is what you would expect, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So that's that's one option. I guess I have to lead it with you here with the major question. What option would you prefer the Raptors take? Because they could retool. They could rebuild. They have well, OG and Anobi and Jen Jr. are, what, 22 and 23? So those are major building blocks they could have. Now, does that mean moving off of Siakam and Van Vliet? Because you could, you know, especially I would say for Van Vliet, uh, take back a significant return. I, I, I mean, I, I kind of look at the core of this team right now as – Fred Van Fleet at the at the point guard position, Trent Jr. at shooting guard. You've got OG at the small forward position, Siakam at the power forward position. The center the center spot is the is the question mark on this roster right now. Oh, it's now. easy. It's Aaron Baines again, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, to be to be frank, uh, the way he played last year, I don't know if he's really even deserving of a roster spot in the NBA next season. That's how bad he was. Yeah, the sad but, thing is you're not even being that harsh. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, off the bench, they've got Malachi Flynn, who really struggled at the early portion of the year, but they, they put him in the G League, and he looked a little bit more comfortable coming back. He seems to be, at the very least, a solid guard defender. He's got to work on the offensive side. But uh, they've got DeAndre Bembry, who I imagine they'll bring back. I think he's got a, a non-guaranteed deal for less than $2 million. I think he's a quality rotation guy to have, so would be shocked if they let him go. 
And then, you know, you've also got Chris Boucher, who I think they prefer to be off the bench, given that he doesn't have great size. He gets in foul trouble. Uh, he can't really defend on the post that well. And he, he is just a guy with, with shot blocks and three-pointers. He's just a highlight reel waiting to happen. So I think that is kind of a nice piece to have off your bench to sort of spice things up. Uh, and then they're going to have their first-round pick, which you know can be if they jump in if they with that 31.9% chance of the top four pick. If they, if they jump into the top four, that obviously would be great, given that I've heard it's a five-player draft, but then... At worst, it's uh, you know the the pick is going to be between seven and eleven, so they're going to have a guy that I think will um, will be making a, a decent chunk of money under a rookie contract, but also somebody that you would hope would be a part of that rotation as well. So then you've just got to figure out okay, so maybe that draft pick is your starting center, and then and then you kind of focus on uh, a, a, a different option or a different position in free agency or you know, if your if your draft pick is a wing or a guard, then maybe you need to to focus on a center in free agency. So the two guys that I was really looking at for Toronto mm-hmm. uh, amongst the available guys would be Spencer Dinwiddie and Rashawn Holmes. Ooh, I like that for both. Ooh, both are solid. So Dinwiddie would solid. be kind of the would be the option sort of as a Lowry replacement if he moves on. And, uh, you know, Dinwiddie's younger. I think he's not going to cost as much coming off of that ACL tear. Uh, and, and I think he fits the, their team pretty well. They need some more creation outside of Van Fleet and Siakam. And uh, he can provide that. He's also got bigger size as well. You know, the Raptors have, have done remarkably well defensively with as small of a backcourt as they've had with Lowry and Van Fleet both being, you know, six foot on a generous day. True <laughs> um, that. Uh, so just to get a little extra size, I think would be would be nice as well. But I think he'd be a good fit. And then yeah, you know, you you talk about a guy like Rashawn Holmes. They just needed some some athleticism, somebody similar to what they had in Ibaka, who can can play in the pick and roll. Holmes has got that really nice floater from the mid range, and also block shots and potentially switch on the defensive end. He brings you some versatility there and just some athleticism that they desperately need at that center spot. And you know he doesn't take a single possession off. You see him go at it every play. I mean, regardless of the team, you know, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Sacramento, he's a tough guy. Just well, like you said, that floaters are a weapon. Pick and roll, forceful on the basket. Definitely love the way he plays. Definitely want to see him on a solid team that can make more of his talents. You know what I mean? Just just maximizing that. I, I, that's You can't really find much more than a Nick Nurse kind of led squad. Um, but I did got to say, I did like the play of Ken Burch down the stretch for Toronto. Figure that he did play, I would say, starting level play. Yeah, I I, um, I would not be opposed at all if Toronto decided to bring him back. Hopefully it's on a reasonable a reasonable mm-hmm. contract. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with starting the season. If you had Holmes, Burch, and Boucher, I, I don't see any issue with that. You know, obviously having three centers – for potential injuries is valuable. But then also I think Boucher can play some four with his shooting ability uh, and and to give them some extra size. You know, I think Boucher's biggest weakness on the defensive end is his rebounding and his post defense. So you kind of mitigate that by playing him at the four. So, uh, yeah, I I like Ken Ken Birch as well. And, yeah, I, I think they should consider bringing him back if the price is reasonable. 
and you know the a couple of other a couple of other free agents that I that I listed kind of more on the fringes. You know, say Kem Birch leaves and you're not able to re re-sign him. Uh, somebody like Gorgie Jang, I think, would be a decent option. That would. And then also, you know, this team I think needs some some shooting and some some playmaking. So somebody like Kendrick Nunn and or Doug McDermott, I think, could be decent options. Okay, yeah, I like both of those. And this is again just in that in that retool kind of scenario. We're not really going for broke with the young guys yet. Like you said, you want to identify Van Vliet and, and Siakam for a few more runs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think this team's going to want to compete. I think they they have a good opportunity this year to sort of do, or I guess last year technically was just sort of the one-year rebuild where you get a good draft pick, you bring in some some uh, young talent in their, in their draft pick, and you again, you've also got the young talent in, in Trent Jr. and Ananobi and Van Fleet and Siakam are dead in their prime, so I think they can kind of toe the line between competing now and also building for the future, and you know, I, I think uh, they've got the the coach that can that can execute that. They've always been really good. The, the the Raptors organization has been excellent at developing players. So they're they're a team that uh, yeah can sort of toe the line between both of those things. I feel you on that. I guess I have a little less faith in the current. I like guys like Fred VanVleet. I like guys like Marcel Siakam. I just don't think either of them alone are like the main piece. And I don't know if together they can form this kind of tandem. If you're looking at them as your two, you would say your two better players. Um, for me, I would look at them as like a really, really strong core around one guy who can just take over the lead of, of being an offensive initiator. But that's just my own personal take on it. Well, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, they don't have the the star guy that will lead you to a championship. But but hey, there's a 70.5% chance that they've get, they get Cade Cunningham in this draft, Corbin. Uh, you know what? And if they, you're right. If they do, then boom, you have it. But that's, I guess, why in my head I was looking at this team going, well, what about rebuilding? Because you bring in, I mean, come on now. Let me let me make my case for rebuilding here, right? Let's say sure. you bring in Kate Cunningham, boom, number one talent, right? I mean, guy you build a franchise around. Uh, that's what's been talked about. You know, if not, there's a guy like Jalen Suggs, another good guy, right? But you get a chance to get a high lottery pick. That'll be the first lottery pick that they've had since acquiring Jacoperto ninth. Jacoperto is a solid player, but hopefully the Raptors can do better in their drafting, right? Now, the Raptors have shown they can find talent outside the lottery, but imagine they just getting one of those, like, just drop dead, like, you know they're a franchise guy. They have that shot. If they move these guys, and I'm talking about Siakam and Van Vliet, who knows what they get back in terms of younger assets? I mean, they moved Norman Powell for Gary Trent. You know, you can get, I would think, a little bit more for uh, Fred Van Vliet. Let's say you send him to New York and you get Emmanuel quickly in like a top 10 protected pick or something, you know, a top 10 pick, you know, in a year or two down. Like that is uh, something I would like. Or you send Siakam to, I don't know, maybe Golden State for their pick. Or something. I mean, I'm not sure how that the the we have to get like an Andrew Wiggins or a Kelly Uber or something back. But you get these young guys, and now you have a core of whoever you draft: Cade Cunningham, Gary Trent, let's say Emmanuel quickly. Their own, tw- you know, the 2021 selection they get from another team, either for trading Siakam or trading Van Vliet. And now you're sitting there with this young core and OG and Obi still, and we're looking to the future going, okay, here's how we're gonna play. And you know, the Raptors are gonna still play all out. Yeah, their championship contention is gonna be like just absolutely zero but if we're being realistic it almost is that way now right 
Yeah, I, I guess my my uh, the, the the thing I would push back against there is I don't know how much trade value Pascal Siakam on his current contract even has. Fair. Um, so so there's that to to be concerned with. I think you would be selling low on Siakam given his performance in the bubble and then at the early portion of of last year playing in Tampa. I think Siakam is better than the player that he's shown, and I think once they get back to Toronto, hopefully next season and playing there, that uh, he'll look more like we saw him from a couple of years ago. I, I still expect him to be an all-star caliber player, but given his contract basically on a max, I don't know what sort of a package or haul you're going to get back. Like, I would be surprised if Golden State were willing to, to throw in a, a really high lottery pick for Siakam in a deal. Um, and, and then Van Fleet as well is another guy that, uh, you know, would I trade Van Fleet for... Uh, for um, Emmanuel quickly, or something? quickly and a draft pick, the Knicks' first round draft pick, which is kind of going to be mediocre. Like I, I don't really think that that outcome of quickly plus a mid mid first is going to oh, be, be a future than first. Having Van Fleet. Mm. No, I feel you. it would be a future first. I definitely wouldn't go here, but I see what you're saying. Like if it if it ultimately generates being a run of the mill draft pick, then is that enough for Van Fleet? And that that's fair. I, that's fair. I, I don't know. I guess I think this is a crossroads where you can really take advantage of some teams by getting off your guys that you know are solid pros, solid vets, but also known commodities. And that's, I mean, maybe that, I mean, I think that Pascal and Van Vliet are very good players, but I don't think they move the needle tremendously if you're not going to get that guy. And if you don't get Kate Cunningham, then then you're not getting that guy. I don't think there's anyone in the free agent market that's going to come. I don't I really expect any internal development to flourish into that type of player. And then if you like, you know, having, you know, the 4-5 seed for three, four years, then have that. That's great. And that does mean something, winning and being a good team. Uh, it, it does a lot for a franchise and bringing people over and building the groundwork for the future. But I, I, maybe I'm just coming from someone who, you know, looks at it from, hey, we just won a championship. Let's build for a better position at one. And, and I guess maybe this is it, keeping these vets. Yeah, I, the way I look at it is if you have an opportunity like what the, the, the Thunder got by trading Westbrook and George or like what David Griffin got by trading Anthony Davis, yeah, you do it. If you're just getting... Or even, or even uh, what New Orleans got for trading Drew Holiday. If you're just going to get this stockpile of picks and, and it, it becomes just this treasure trove of assets, then yes, you absolutely, I, I would say, yeah, do the, do the uh, Sam Hinkie, the process, and, and really strip it down and, uh, and build from the draft. But, uh, you know, when you look at this Raptors roster, you know, you— you trade a couple of these guys and they, they still have enough solid talent that I think, you're, you know, they're not going to just be, uh, you know, even if you were to say trade Pascal Siakam, you're getting matching salary in return for him. So you're probably getting some rotation pieces and they still have a, a decent uh, a ro- a roster outside of Siakam. So, you know, you're not just all of a sudden going to be right at the bottom of the lottery next year, I wouldn't assume. Mm-hmm. So... To me, I would, if I'm Toronto, I would continue to just do what they did even prior to the 2019 championship team, where you you build up a core of of uh, veteran players and young talent, and then you can theoretically use some of that young talent to make a trade for a star in the future. You know that that's how that 2019 title team came about, and uh, you know. If he nails, if if Masai Ujiri nails this 
likely top seven pick, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of a sudden you've got you've got this uh, this group of players, and you know, they, they, as I said, they can build also through free agency this this offseason as well to to build out that roster and also to have some some tradable contracts and and some salary matching contracts. So that's true. M- maybe they could kind of go in a, in a few years and have a similar path to that 2019 team where you've got the players two through seven that you need for a championship and then you make the trade, sacrifice some depth and and get that number one piece. I mean, if you you brought it up, and I was thinking it even as I said, the best fit to rebuild, but you're right. Having the guys that you had was the reason, I mean, at the time, having a strong, you know, solid, not a championship winning team, but a solid team for years, help have Toronto or put Toronto in a position that they could lose, like you said, some of that to get the Kawhi Leonard, and we all know how that ended up. So you're right, probably playing out the string that way is more beneficial in the long run because of what you can later upgrade to, you know, if things don't break right. I mean, they could always even have a, a, a 2011 Dallas Maverick situation where things work well. You have a team that is tough, battle hard, and plays together, and they're able to kind of win the big one by taking advantage of just, you know, teams in flux and playing hard and winning basketball. So that's also something that is um, available. Uh, do you have any, like, I guess, like, I don't want to say last points. I guess it could be last points, but, like, like big-picture outlooks for Toronto. What you're excited to see this offseason. What do you think, um, aside from what we talked about, they might do. But just kind of closing the book on Toronto. Because I think right now, of most of these teams, I mean, that we'll be kind of getting into later, um, just in the series and just in general, the Toronto's not in a bad spot. They, they have interesting, um, like, decisions they can make as far as where they can go so they're in an interesting crossroads we we went this far and not even really talked that much about Kyle Lowry but we both kind of are basically presuming he's gone right yeah I I would probably say so just because I think they they would rather use their salary cap space on a younger player that can be a part of this team moving forward um, but never say never you know Lowry is beloved in Toronto I think he 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 has uh, really enjoyed his time there. He's a legend. So if, say, their free agency plans just kind of, uh, you know, don't don't pan out, yeah, they, they could bring him back. I think that's one of the benefits of not trading Lowry at last year's deadline. Uh, you know, if they were offered a first-round pick at last year's deadline for Lowry, I think it was a mistake to have held on to him. But if it was just, you know, salary it, matching uh-huh. and, and a second-rounder, I— I can understand the reason why they they held on to him for just the possibility that, yeah, I mean, there's a chance that none of these players want to come to Toronto, especially if the the situation with, um, you know, the the coronavirus protocols are still not set in stone by the time they're making that choice. Uh, Garrett, they they were offered a first rounder. They were offered Taylor Horton Tucker. (laughs) (laughs) that's like the equivalent right there like you come on now 20 year old all-star over here champion okay i want to be salty salty yeah uh i mean the i think what i i uh, wrote in my notes some of the things that this team needs and one of the things was was shooting and uh i don't think taylor horton tucker would uh would help with that uh, unfortunately not but um yeah the the, the couple of things that I'll be looking out for watching them next season, I'm very excited to see the development of OG Ananobi. I think we've, we've seen over the last couple of years some small steps of progress as a, as a primary initiator, a guy that can make plays off the dribble, off the catch. 
and be that be that guy that can truly shoot, pass, and dribble along with his excellent defense. So he's a guy that uh, you know should be rounding into coming close to his prime here over the next couple of years. So he's a guy I'm looking out for. Gary Trent Jr., another guy that is mostly on the offensive end, has been a spot-up shooter, but uh, he's shown some off-the-bounce skill and, and his development in that area, especially getting to the basket. I think he needs to do a better job of, of occasionally getting to the rim and getting some easy looks as, instead of just completely relying on the jump shot. Uh, so, so those are a couple of guys that I'm looking out for. And then, you know, as far as I'm very excited to see the draft lottery and how the draft works out for Toronto. I, I haven't gone through and studied the prospects yet, but I imagine somebody like a Cade Cunningham or a Jalen Suggs or, or even a, what is it? Evan Mobley would be really intriguing fits on this roster. Oh, yes. Yes. I can see any of those sliding in and doing an amazing job, just flourishing, developing in, in, in this system that, is much heralded and for good reason in Toronto. So yeah, any of those top three guys for certain Cade Cunningham over there would be a monster. I would definitely love to see how that's done because even in a more conventional team uh, setting as, as a prospect, I think we all like what Taylor Horton, uh, not Taylor Horton, <laughs> Cade Cunningham. <laughs> I can't stop. We all like what Cade, you know, has to offer, at least from what we've seen. We're going to do some more of that into this show in the future. But just in general, him and, yeah, him and Toronto would be, would, be, would be something to marvel at. But, yeah, that's that's my last kind of thoughts on Toronto. It's going to be interesting to see kind of where they go. Draft lotteries in just under two weeks. So definitely excited to see kind of what happens from there. Maybe we'll have to do an update on this. Yeah, I get, uh, you know, probably unhealthily excited about the draft lottery every year. I uh I can't wait for that and how the the ping balls the ping pong balls bounce and uh, yeah Toronto you know for for his team as good as them I I kind of am hoping that they jump into the top four because that's that's what it's really fun to me a, a team that definitely has some some quality talent being able to add a young star is really exciting oh yes for sure it's it's a good case of the rich getting richer in Toronto's yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's get let's get to your uh, your team that you pick, which I'm excited to talk about as well, the Orlando Magic. Well, thank you, sir. I'm I'm, I'm definitely hyped about Orlando. Um, I think in this case we kind of know that they are most definitely a rebuilding team. In fact, they just recently parted ways mutually, of course, with head coach. Uh, uh, I'm totally mixing up Clifford now, Coach Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm telling you, y'all, I'm I'm doing my best here. But um, where was I going with this? Okay, yeah, Orlando um <laughs> parted ways with Steve Clifford uh just so that they could actually focus on the rebuild that they're gonna undertake. It was a interesting year for Orlando, and by interesting, it wasn't that good. Injuries kind of hit them early. Um, they were never able to find a rhythm. They definitely shook things up come the trade deadline. Uh, you. God, they lost out. They didn't lose, but they parted ways with Nikola Vucevic and Evan Fournier. Uh, brought in some guys that definitely signal a, a, a change in order in, in, in terms of having um, folks on the roster like, well, guys who literally just kind of started making an impact. RJ Hampton, who I really enjoyed. Gary Harris came from Denver because they parted ways with Aaron Gordon. Um, who else is I'm thinking over here? I have the list in front of me, and I'm just totally losing it. Um, Aye, aye, aye. I'm going to edit that part out. Um, um, and Wendell Carter Jr. Oh, my goodness. I'm, ladies and gentlemen, I said I wasn't feeling well. I'm looking at Wendell Carter Jr.'s numbers and just blanking. But anyways, making a, a full a full reboot on this team, uh, running through their numbers because they weren't that pretty. They were 21-51, 14th in the East. Uh, they were 
29 they were 29th offensive rating, 26th in defensive rating, all in all 29th in net rating overall. And we're looking at a team now that has a lot of youth on this roster, with the exception of maybe Terrence Ross moving forward. And I guess you could look at Dwayne Bacon in his late 20s, James Ennis is 30 as well. Um, they got a lot of guys here who Gee, they're they're, they're going to build a foundation somewhere, and I guess Orlando's starting to start from ground zero this next season. Yeah, it's it's all going to come. This off season is all going to come down to the draft for the Magic. You know, their own pick has a fifty two percent chance at the top four, fourteen percent chance at uh, number one. But uh, given their their past history of luck in the, in the draft lottery, they'll probably end at six or seven. Uh, they're they're currently uh, stationed at at three, uh, but uh, yeah, obviously the the hope for them, given that they're this current roster, similar to Toronto, does not have does not have that uh, number one guy, and unlike Toronto, probably doesn't have a number two or three guy either. <laughs> no, they don't. You're right. You're looking at a solid cast, I guess you could say, at a good starting point, but no one that really pops out. They were really hoping to get it from the draft. I mean. And the funny thing is they don't really have a lot other than that because they'll have about 18 million in room. And that's not a lot when you consider how much they're going to go to the draft picks. The number three draft pick alone is allowed to make 6.7 mil. And then the eighth pick is allowed to make 4.2. So that gives them basically about 7 million to work with in cap room. That's enough to sign someone nice, but definitely not like a, a tremendous deal maker. And it leads you to wonder who they target because this is a weaker free agent class. And it's not like Orlando's pursuing the cream of the crop in that they're, they're trying to find someone that's going to, you know, help them move forward. Um, they going to have a lot of cap space in the 2022, so the next summer, um, where, you know, Gabby Harris, Wendell Carter, and Terrence Ross will come off the books. But it's going to be interesting to see how they go from there, you know, bringing those guys back. But that's not even the main issue, because looking at this season alone, there were some guys I really enjoyed watching. I did. I have this thing about dumpster fire teams that, like, the worst they are, if they're not totally bad— I enjoy watching you. You know, I'm not talking about just competing, but just like, oh, there's a players I like. You know, in this case, Orlando had a few of them. I loved Cole Anthony. Um, he came in, you know, had an uneven rookie season, got injured for a good chunk of it, wasn't a great shooter when he was playing, but I think he did play better down the course of the season. He had a game-winning shot for them and had a tremendous um, post-game interview afterwards. But I liked his development. I want to see how he works with Markel Fultz, even though I think that they both are undersized and don't really believe in the shooting that is on the floor between the both them yeah they uh the my projected starting five for them and and you can uh dispute this if you disagree corbin but i i'm expecting at the start of the season it will be cole anthony at point terrence ross at the two chuma okeke at the three jonathan isaac at the four and wendell carter jr at the five Okay, I like that. I have the same front court of Isaac and Carter for you. Um, I'd actually, well, I was wondering why Bacon still, for whatever reason, as the small forward. But for until Markel comes back, I call Anthony at the point, um, and then I had Gary Harris at the two. But I figured that once Markel came back, that he would just reclaim his spot, and they would either push Cole to the two, or one of those switch there, or bring Cole off the bench, which is probably a more likely scenario. Um, what do you think about that? I guess, do you think Gary Harris is, is best coming off the bench? Because in my mind, I'm thinking you have a backcourt, uh, like a backup. If you're bringing off in Cole Anthony and you, let's say, start Gary Harris, then off the bench you can bring in um, – I mean, if you're starting Mark Fultz and Gary Harris, then off the bench, you can bring in a Cole Anthony and an RJ Hampton. And in terms of the backcourt kind of um, rotation there. 
Well, and don't forget Ross, too, which... Uh, uh, totally. I, I, yeah, I don't know why I'm forgetting him. I'm, I, I think I am because I'm subconsciously putting him as a three. But you're, you're probably right now that I think about it that, yeah, Gary Harris would probably start over Ross because I think they've always liked Ross as kind of a bench spark plug. Instant offense. Uh, but Mark, Markel, the issue with him is, you know, he got his... He tore his ACL... Uh, on uh, and had ACL surgery on January 20th. So given that the next season starting, I think at the you know typical oh, start yeah, time in October, time. yeah, I would not expect Fultz to be there at the start, which I think is interesting because you know you were you were mentioning when we were talking about the Raptors that you would be uh, all about sort of trading away and and trying to rebuild and. And obviously the Magic did that at the last trade deadline, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them continue to do so. Uh, and, and Terrence Ross, to me, is the one guy that is the obvious trade candidate. He's got two years left on his contract, and it's actually declining, so it's a pretty pretty good deal. Uh, I've, got, I've got the exact numbers here. Uh, he's making $12.5 million, uh, this year and 11.5 in 22-20. Or, and by this year, I mean 21-22 yeah. and 11.5 in 22-23. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody that teams are interested in come the deadline. And that could be, that could be an interesting thing, too, where Orlando utilizes Ross up until the deadline. And by that point, Markel Fultz is back and able to take some of his minutes. And then you can offload Ross for some assets. That makes a lot of sense. I agree with you. And I, I, you heard how I felt about Toronto and offloading their vets. I feel even more strong about Orlando doing that with the remaining guys they have. I mean, what uh, is Otto Porter around this upcoming season? I'm trying to see if his deal was expiring. He's a, yeah, he's a free agent, which he's a free agent. I do not okay. expect. I do not expect him to be to be back next year At, for, for yeah. Orlando. Nope, by twenty seven I also agree. He's greener pastures are weight auto, so definitely there. Um but yeah, I'm with you there. Um and maybe you have guys like uh, Carter Williams, like a um like a like you said, Terrence Ross that will uh, more more so Terrence Ross, but achieve like significant return come you know, the midway point of the year where, you know, teams are trying to jostle for that positioning. And then you get some additional draft capital, maybe one or two guys on the end of the bench, just like they did with RJ Hampton for, for getting, for losing Aaron Gordon, you know, a guy that can kind of flourish later down the line. I mean, RJ Hampton's only 20, I mean, 19 going 20. And that's another thing about these guys, with the exception of Gary Harris at 26, a lot of these guys are under the age of 25. Right. Yeah. And and Ross, I think, is what, 31. So he's definitely um, those, standing out. Yeah. Yeah. Those those guys, uh, Ross and Harris are, are probably not a part of this team's future, I wouldn't assume. Although I think Ross, again, given his contract, is a lot more tradable, whereas Harris up towards 20 million on his deal is going to be a little bit harder to offload and, and get oh, yeah. anything of value. Um, so and I would I, Harris. Yeah, I think they'll they'll keep him around, and he can contribute reasonably well for a team that's rebuilding and be kind of a, a vet leader on this roster. But you know, I, I mentioned the five guys that you know, uh, like Cole Anthony, Harris, Okiki, Isaac Carter Jr. Then off the bench, you know, you've got Ross, you've got um, Markel Fultz, Mo ba- until well, once he returns, he'll probably start. But you've got Mo Bamba, Michael Carter Williams, R.J. Hampton, Dwayne Bacon, and also those. Likely two first-round picks. We we brought up Orlando's own first, but we didn't talk about the the pick that they're that they own from Chicago 
which oh, yeah. uh, is uh, you know is likely to be around pick eight, and uh, it's top four protected. So if if that if the the Bulls pick jumps into the top four, which there's a twenty point two percent chance that that happens, then the uh, the Bulls hold on to it. So Orlando, I think, is going to be wanting to uh, for that pick not to jump into the top four. So yeah, Orlando, it's going to be it's going to be a very big day for them. Not only hoping that their own pick is in the top four, but then the Chicago's isn't, so that they have a top four pick and a another pick in the top ten. And that's a uh, solid starting point for a team that's really getting back to going. But yeah, I mean, just you know, all of those names I just mentioned, plus potentially those two first round picks, you're talking about I think like thirteen guys already for this roster. So. Uh, and and frankly, you've got kind of all of the positional spectrums covered there as well, assuming that you you draft a couple of guys that's uh, at positions of need. So uh, as far as free agency is concerned, you already brought up. I have it listed as they'll have about five point six million in free agency. See, I, I love and, having I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. man. I love having you on alongside me because I'll go off with a number that's maybe two mil too high or two mil too low. You'll come with a lot more of an accurate estimate. I appreciate that, sir. Well, I, I uh, I've got to give credit to the uh, the dunked on guys and being a member of dunked on prime. I have their cap, their updated cap sheet. So that's what I'm using here at to say that Orlando has 5.6 million likely in, in cap room. So I don't see them as much of a free agency player. And I, I don't really know why they would even bother other than, you know, maybe just getting a couple of guys on the fringes, um, maybe just some veterans that uh, maybe won't play a lot of minutes, but can, can, uh, can guide this young group and, and teach them some things about the NBA. But uh, yeah, you, for, for a team that's in such a rebuild, their roster is kind of set for, for this upcoming season outside of knowing if they're going to have two draft, two for, two top ten picks or just one, and then also whether they'll eventually at some point trade off the likes of, uh, of Terrence Ross. True. Exactly. I'm with you there. It's a starting uh, solid blueprint for them. And, and you're right. Free agency doesn't it shouldn't be a major thing. Maybe, like you said, some flyers um, and for my mind, some young guys. I mean, if you want to have the veteran two at the end of the bench, that's fine. Um, if it's just, uh, you know, like you said, a little flyer at them. But at the same time, I think you really want to kind of flourish the guys you have on the floor, you know, and on the roster now. Um, with that being said, we have a head coaching vacancy now. We talked a little bit about coaching with Nate Bjorken and the Pacers. We didn't really go into who could be a possible replacement aside from mentioning Terry Stotts. Who would you ideally like as a coach for this Orlando Magic team? I would say kind of what type of archetype, but that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Just obviously a coach that wants to rebuild. So do you have like a coach in mind that you think would be a nice fit or, or would slide in? Um, you could pick any of the retreads or your own personal. Yeah, I I don't have a specific name in mind, but I guess I, I kind of have an archetype in mind, and and that would be you know it's interesting this roster right now is very much defensively focused with with Foltz, Isaac Carter Jr. Okiki these are all solid defensive guys even you know Carter Williams I think Bamba was drafted with the idea that he was going to be a defensive monster even though that hasn't pound uh, panned out yet. Uh, so they've got a good defensive culture, and the guy, the coach they just fired in Clifford is kind of a guy that is better known for, okay, we've got a limited defensive roster, and I can get the most out of it, you know, when they mm-hmm. were able to have decent defenses with Vucevic manning the middle. So I understand that Clifford, not only just from a 
from a fit standpoint, but also just from a rebuild standpoint. He's an older coach, probably not the uh, the the greatest option there. So I understand the the desire to move on. If I'm if I'm Orlando, I'm going to be focused on somebody that can kind of be the the opposite of Clifford, where he can get more out of the offense than you would expect given the talent. Because this team is going to have some spacing issues. They're uh, you know they're depending on how the draft pans out. They're not going to have a ton of shot creation. So they're going to have to run intricate sets. They're going to have to have a lot of ball and man movement. So I would be prioritizing a coach that uh, you know has a uh, has a good offensive system that allows this offense to to be decent and and then um, you know will will then allow the the defensive talent on this team to win them games. Okay, so kind of just let them kind of develop from within on that end while prodding them in the other direction on a positive trajectory on one end of the floor. Yeah, um, you know, again, yeah, just uh, being a guy that, um, right, gets more out of out of the talent offensively and allows the, the defensive talent on this group just to shine. Uh, and then also, obviously, you need a guy, and, and maybe this comes more into, like, the assistance on the, on the coaching staff, but you obviously need to prioritize player development at this stage of a rebuild also. I would agree. You definitely want to give this coach a lot of rope, you know, um, and, and give him some time to understand that this team is it's not going to be a good one. But, yeah, hopefully you have a, a coach that can start setting good – I want to say good um, – what is the word I'm looking for? Jeez, I cannot think today. Good, found a good foundation. We're gonna settle with that. Good foundation, good healthy habits moving forward because you don't want to have, you know, what you had in Indiana or a team that doesn't fit there. But like, I like even a James Borrego type. I mean, obviously he's having great success in, in Charlotte, but someone who has been building incrementally toward the team they are now, which is only going to get better, but by starting with a decent foundation and making the most of the talent on the team and then additionally adding more, folding that in, it's, it's, a, it's a finely tuned recipe. I'm, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a cook myself. I think I dabble, Garrett. And, you know, if you're folding ingredients together, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting them all evenly coated and doing it at a gradual pace. And there's your random uh, food analogy for the day because I am clearly losing it. Oh, yeah, I, I can make a, a pretty darn good grilled cheese, Corbin. So, yeah, next, hey, time, hey. Ne- next time we're able to get together, I'll, uh, I'll cook you up a nice grilled cheese. Hey, I appreciate that. I was thinking more of my, my, my um, a cheesecake recipe I know of, so maybe we'll have to trade that. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do a Disney cheesecake. But, yeah, okay, great. Well, looking at Orlando, I guess what I'm most excited for, obviously, draft lottery. But for me, it is the draft and summer league because all these guys that we're going to potentially be seeing at summer league – will be playing for the team come the regular season. And so being able to see some of that real-time development on the fly, seeing what they've been working on during the summer, see how that folds into the regular season is going to be big. Um, as an Orlando Magic fan, I'm not saying I am, but I'm saying if you are one, one thing I definitely want to see is who's going to kind of step up and, and become, you know, there's always one guy, I feel, that kind of flourishes, whether it's a newfound three-point shot, some more offensive versatility, you know, a newfound commitment to defense, someone who has some more on-ball utility than was originally imagined. Who's going to step up for Orlando and build off of that? Is that Cole Anthony? Because he does seem like he has the juice to be that person. You know, is it someone like um, a Mobamba when he comes back in? You know, a Wendell Carter Jr.? Uh, which player out of this group they have is going to be able to kind of separate themselves from the pack? Or will they all kind of grow together in unison and just be this finely formed unit? Um, and, and, and which players are really going to set up to form the nucleus? Because right now, we have a nucleus in mind. You know, you have a Jonathan Isaac, you have a Mobamba, you have their young guards. But which 
team, which kind of players are really going to join that and, and really build that foundation. Because while I think there is one, it most certainly isn't set in stone. Yeah, and uh, I just want to state that I really like uh, Chumo Okiki. From from what I saw of him last year, he seems to be a really promising 3 and D type. And with with him and Isaac potentially at the 3 and 4 spots, like defensively, that's that's really darn good. The challenge there is, you know, despite Okiki, you know, showing some signs as a as a jump shooter, a spot-up guy, that, you know, the spacing is going to be limited. So the one one of the big developments that I would like to see if I'm a Magic fan is Wendell Carter Jr. showing the promise that we saw from the draft of a three-point shot for him. Yeah. Uh, him spacing the floor a little bit I think would be would be pretty pretty nice. And I also like that option as well because I think Isaac could be a pretty decent screener in the pick-and-roll game as a role man. And if you've got a center that can space that, to, that opens that uh, possibility up. But uh, yeah, they're they're going to be really fascinating as far as you know. Um, I, I I jotted down in my notes some of the team needs. Obviously, they're going to need a long-term shooting guard. Uh, with with again, I think Gary Harrison, Terrence Ross not in the team's future plans. Yeah, but, who's uh, going to slot in? Yeah, so that that could be maybe that's what they one of the the things they fill in this upcoming draft. We'll we'll have to wait and see. But then yeah, as far as uh, you know, the team sort of weaknesses. I, I wrote offense, shooting, creation, and passing. <laughs> <laughs> Just everything on one side of the ball, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, you no lies are told, you know, because there's pretty much deficiencies. I think every starter or every player, you know, sliding in a position when the Magic's trot out right now is suboptimal in all offensive categories. You know what I mean? And outside of the vet, outside of Terrence Ross, if you slot up to a man, every player, you know, point guard to point guard, shooting guard to shooting guard, I give the opposing team, unless it's what, maybe the Kings, and even them, I pretty much give them advantage. Oh, man. Calling out the Kings on this podcast. I'm sorry. Oh, wait till we get to Sacramento. I'm sorry. I am sorry. Actually, I'm not that sorry. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is just bad, bad. You know? Even when they have some good. And, and the Kings have some good players. I just think... Anyway, another story for another show, my friend. Another story for another show. But, yeah, right now, you're right. If they can improve on one of those, that'd be amazing. But I think that is something that we should be looking at. You know, internal development... Getting a high draft pick, I would love to see Kate Cunningham on that team. But even a Jonathan Kaminga would be interesting. Imagine Jonathan Kaminga, Jonathan Isaac. Yeah. Um, Yikes. Again, Defense. I haven't I haven't done a ton of studying, but yeah, Kaminga is kind of a, a really athletic big wing, correct? Huh? Kaminga is. I haven't exactly. done a lot of studying yeah, on he's, his he's, draft, but he's from my like little um, you know, from my I want to say amateur scouting eye he almost reminds me of another jonathan isaac offensively challenged you know, doesn't have much of a jumper defensively in transition he is the bomb yeah see i'm thinking with this draft that they need to they need to get the offensive fulcrum and then a secondary offensive piece as well that's what i think it, the the best case scenario for orlando is you you move up and you get in that top four you draft your offensive superstar and then with the hopefully if the if the Bulls pick doesn't move up and you get that say at pick number eight you get a secondary starter that can be a secondary playmaker as well on the offensive end. I think frankly with with Fultz, Okiki, Isaac, Carter Jr. like I think they've got enough defensive talent on this roster. I think they desperately need offensive help. 
Yeah, no, you're right. It just, I mean, we've seen it in playoff series after playoff series where you look toward, you know, Nikola Vucevic, and 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 if you're for, for me, you know, you're cursing at um, Evan Fournier for not stepping a more as a perimeter player. But yeah, that that's well, and, that's what you're. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I say I say like they desperately need offensive help, but you know, preferably it's guys that can be excellent offensively while also being excellent defensively. You know, getting yeah. two way guys. Are, are you saying dare I say a two way player? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you hope to get that at the at the very top of the draft and in the top ten. But uh, you know, I, I think also Orlando would be pretty happy if they get out of those two picks. If they get one guy as an all star and another guy as a quality starter, I think they'd be pretty content with that as well. Hey, that's the hope, man. We got to see how it happens. But I'd be excited to see. And listen, we're going to see in just a couple weeks. I think we should team back and check in on these two teams coming up after the draft, just for a little yeah. piece. We should we should do some sort of a live uh, live draft lottery video or something. Hey, I'd be down with that. L- listen, it's on the pod. We're putting it out there. <laughs> Let's see about making that happen, man. Wow. Well, Garrett, thank you, man, for coming on, joining me here, talking about the Raptors, talking about the Magic. I know coming together like we do is always a lot of fun, and we always do it in, a, a, I would say, a pretty timely manner, man. I love the deep dives that we get into here. Um, and let's be real, we probably could have went into this even longer, right? Yeah, no, I uh, I had a blast. It's always uh, it's always a, an absolute joy to, to chat with you as well. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you uh, you have to uh, you have to avoid scheduling me too often because you know pretty much every time it's going to be about an hour and a half. Hey, listen, man, that's why you're one of the best hosts in the game, bro. I'm telling you, I love it. <laughs> I love it, man. Thank you. And listen, hour and a half shows. I personally like listening to them, so I have no issue with them whatsoever um but maybe next time i'll be a little more uh cogent if that's the word i'm looking for because my brain is in a totally different place today thank you again for bearing with me on that <laughs> oh no absolutely and yeah if uh, if people can't listen to an hour and a half all at once you know do it over two or three days on on your commute there you go break it up this is the show for that and listen if you want to know another show that is just like this but even more in depth one of my favorite shows i'm not just saying that because i'm his friend although i am his friend but i love this show check out Duncan dynasty and not just the ones i'm on in fact maybe it's just me i love the ones better when i'm not on just because you get a a, a different viewpoints a plethora of, of different deep dives Garrett's playoff pods are some of the best to me outside of maybe the deep dives into classic series and classic games because those are, are the bread and butter for me. But he's dropped just some tremendous shows over the last couple of weeks. Um, of course, I was happy and fortunate enough to be on some. But you have the Western Conference semifinals that just dropped a little bit ago um, where both him and I think I'm saying Shamir. Is that yes. correct? All right, yep. cool. Shamir, and they, this is over 90 minutes just on um, just on both series, breaking down X-Factors, two-game-in adjustments, all of that. Check them out I'm on Twitter at Duncan Dynasty. Check out Garrett on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, um, HoopBall, Hoop-Ball.com, or on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. And you know what? That's it, y'all. For Garrett, for myself, you know, we Frosty, y'all stay Frosty, and we'll talk to y'all real soon. All right, y'all.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.